0: The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Amen. Good morning, church family. Ooh, everyone's still a little bit cold this morning, especially those who are still outside. Y'all are brave. I I love it. They're still out there. I love it way to get out of bed and for those of you who are watching in bed good morning to you as well uh, we're we're glad you at least got enough energy to turn your, that's an option, I didn't realize that was allowed, right? <laughs> I wanted to, um, before we before we um, jump into the sermon this morning, I wanted to, to bring a quick quick attention to, if you notice, on the worship guide, which you hopefully received when you uh, when you got here this morning, we had a quick um, giving update, which we try and put monthly in, and I just want to say thank you. If you notice, we are about $41,000 ahead of budgeted giving year-to-date, which our um, budget year started in July, so we're about six months into our budget year, and I just want to say thank you to, to so many of those of you who give regularly and generously from what God has blessed you with. Your your regular giving um, makes ministry here possible, and we couldn't do what as a church we feel God has called us to do without your participation with us. So I just want to say thank you and, and to make sure to, to let you know that I know at the year end in December, um, a lot of people look to give an extra gift, perhaps above and beyond what they regularly do, and we are more than glad to, to accept those gifts of God would lead you to um, this is our last Sunday and so anything that you would like for the year of this current year needs to be postmarked or to be given online and received by the church by the end of the year and whatever God would lead you and your family to do we just want to say thank you thank you so much for your your faithfulness and your participation with us and what God is doing here in the Morgan Hill area we're so thankful for that let me let me pray for us and we'll dive into our message this morning God We do thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, God, that has been seen throughout, not just the last year or the last few years, but throughout all of history. God, we can look back and see your fingerprints and your faithfulness to us. And so we thank you for that. And we thank you that your faithfulness will go with us into the future as well. God, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes, that you would be present God, and that we would listen to however you would speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter one this morning. If you know anything about the New Testament books, you may know that Luke, of all of the authors of the New Testament, of the gospels, which are the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke spends the most time looking at kind of the Christmas story. And we're just going to look at a few verses this morning, one small snippet of the Christmas story. In Luke chapter one, verses 26 to 38, which is the foretelling to Mary of the birth of Jesus. (laughs) This will follow, Um, the story takes place. As you notice, we're gonna start in verse 26. Luke started with a pronouncement of another birth, of a man named John the Baptist, and that he would be coming. And and he appeared to this man's parents, to Zechariah and to Elizabeth, and foretold of his coming. And now we're gonna look at a story again of a visitor arriving and giving this Expected good news to someone else. Have you ever had an unexpected visitor to your house that you just weren't quite, you weren't planning? It was totally unexpected. It caught you totally off guard. I remember this happened to my wife, Kristen, gosh, several years ago, that she, she got home from work one day. Um, this is when we were still living in Chicago. She got home from work one day and there was a business card from someone that said, hey, I showed up at your house and we missed you. But you need to contact us, please, quickly. And the business card was someone who had on their thing. I worked for the FBI and their counterintelligence agency. Now I don't know about you, but the FBI does not regularly visit my home. Maybe for some of you, you're like, oh yeah, the FBI, they stop by my house often. Maybe we should have a conversation later if that's, if that's the case. But this was, this was kind of shocking. It also was a little concerning because the, the week that this happened, I was actually out of town speaking at a camp. It was in the summer. And I was out of cell phone service for three days. Right, So she's like, I'm home alone, my husband is gone, I cannot contact him, and the FBI now wants to contact me. She's like, red flags all over the place, right? Like, what is, what is going on? And so, you know, you like Google the person, and you're like, oh no, it actually, it seems, it seems legit that this person does work for the FBI. So, so she contacted him and she set up a meeting the next day in a very public place at a coffee shop in downtown, right? Like, she's taking all the safety precautions. She actually had one of her coworkers go into the coffee shop early and sit like in the back corner, like, hey, if some random person shows up and abducts me, at least I have a witness now, please, all right? And so so just just imagine, like, the nerves, like, what is going on? And and sure enough, this FBI agent walks in and meets with her and, and tells her that apparently my wife and I were put on a terrorist hit list. Now, if you ever wanted to know someone like, who are these terrorists out to get? Well, you're looking at them. Yeah, it's my, it's my claim to fame. No, uh, apparently it was because my wife and I had visited a country in the Middle East years earlier and they had hacked some information and then released the contact information of thousands. So, I mean, we're like ones of tens of thousands of people who were released in there. You know, oh, go, go after these people. So my life's not in imminent danger. But if you do want to say that you know someone who's on a terrorist hit list, if that makes you look cool, feel free to use my name. I'm glad to help, right? <laughs> But imagine that, like, like, just this unexpected, like, wh- what? what is going on? Like, and it kind of rattles you. It, it was totally out of the point. Pl- you had, like, all these things planned for days, and this news just kind of, it kind of shakes you, and it kind of rattles you. This unexpected visitor that shows up to Mary in our story today is not an FBI agent, but an angel of the Lord. And the news that he delivers to her will not just kind of rattle her nerves for a couple hours or a couple days, but will change the whole trajectory of her life. So let's jump into the story. Luke chapter one, starting at verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This morning, we're going to look at four extraordinary things from this story. And the first is this, the extraordinary ways of God. First point is the extraordinary ways of God. <laughs> the, the passage starts off, and says in the sixth month. Well, it, it, he's not like saying it's like the sixth month of the year, but what he's talking about is he had just visited Zechariah and Elizabeth and he's referring back to that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So six months after the event that had just come before, the angel Gabriel shows up to a a place. And he shows up to someone who, her name is Mary, and it says that she is betrothed. Now, in their time and in their culture, they understood what this meant, but their betrothal process is different than ours today. So it's, it's helpful for us to understand this, all right? So a Jewish betrothal, in their custom, had two steps. First was your formal engagement, which was literally the exchange of a contract and the bridal price was paid by the to-be-husband to the dad of the wife. Right, this sounds so foreign to some of us who are in the Western world. We're like, what the world? So he buys her. No, he doesn't buy her, but yes, a contract is entered to do. So this means it is much more formal than even our engagement process. Right? There's no backing out. In fact, it was considered to back out on this was equivalent to divorce, even though they were not legally yet married. Right? So Joseph and Mary are not yet married, but they're they're there, right? they are they are legally bound. And then after this betrothal process, process typically about six months to a year later is when the actual wedding would take place. And so Joseph and Mary find themselves in this in-between time. It says that the, that the angel, he came to a, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And if you would have been alive in Israel this time or in the Middle East at this time when you have heard this story, you would have said, Galilee named Nazareth, you would have said, where? What town? Well, where are they talking about? And it's interesting because when the angel had showed up right before he showed up to the temple in Jerusalem and everyone had been like, ah, yeah, that's where God's gonna show up. That's where God's gonna pick someone at the expected place, the center of all things. And then the next thing you know is God shows up to do the most important pregnancy announcement in the history of the world. And everyone goes, what town in the middle of where? A small town of probably a few hundred You would have been able to walk through it in just under a couple minutes, a very insignificant place. It's surprising. And it would have been surprising not only at this time, but even later when Jesus was an adult. And we see this in the reaction of some of the disciples, if you remember, who were called to follow Jesus. In John chapter one, verse 46, Philip calls to his brother to come and to follow Jesus. Nathaniel's response is this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. There was just kind of this expectation that important people, important things don't happen there. They happen in Jerusalem. Why is God showing up in Nazareth? And then who he's showing up to? He's showing up to a virgin, an insignificant girl named Mary. Mary. interesting because if you look, if you have your Bibles open and you look back to Luke chapter 1 verse 5, you'll notice that when he shows up to Zechariah, their lineage is given both for Zechariah and for Elizabeth. Elizabeth is one of the daughters of Aaron, right? She can trace her lineage back. Aaron, the right-hand man of Moses, she has a good lineage. Notice the lineage of Mary. There's none, She's not significant. She does not come from from a family name that you had put forward and people would know. She has no spectacular name about her. In fact, she's identified as a virgin twice before her name is given, just to downplay even her own personal self, that who she is is not even that significant. Now it is fascinating and interesting to note that because of their customs and processes at this time, Mary is most likely a 12 to 13 year old girl. She's a junior high girl. That was when they got married in this time. So uh, an angel shows up to this girl with no royal lineage, no background and gives her this noose. She's not of a priestly line, but she's called this favored one of God. So I love this because God goes to an unexpected place and finds an unexpected person to accomplish his will. We often assume the type and the background of the people that God will use, yet God goes out of the way to find people who we wouldn't necessarily put, we wouldn't look at as thinking these are the kinds of people, this is the type of person who God would use. In fact, it's interesting, I was listening to a sermon, I think it was on this passage several years ago, and it was from a pastor down in the San Diego area. Right? And he was trying to help his congregation understand like, how, how out of the woods, how no one was from Nazareth. There was nothing important from Nazareth. And I'm not joking. I should have found it online to prove that it was true. right? But this is at a very large church. He was like, it's kind of like if you were to tell someone that, man, this really important person came from Hemet because nothing good ever comes from Hemet. And I'm sitting there watching it and I go, I was born in Hemet. Right. Yeah, I understand. But yeah, yeah, I guess nothing important really comes from there, right? But like, if you come from a small town that no one really cares about, no one really thinks about, you kind of get you kind of get this. Like, you don't come from San Francisco, you know, or or seeing like you can just come from some small place out in the middle of nowhere, and you know that that it kind of feels like insignificant your existence. See, that's exactly who God so often runs to and thrusts right in the middle of His story. The people who may think I'm not qualified, I'm on the outside, I'm insignificant, God says you are perfect for what I have to accomplish. See, when, in times like this, when God uses unexpected things, I think God often does the unexpected and uses the unexpected because God calls us to trust him in it. He calls us to trust him in it. If God always used the people we expected in the ways that we expected, it wouldn't really involve a lot of trust on our behalf, but God goes outside of those circles all the time. I think God doesn't often reveal to us his ways. Have you ever just sat there and wondered about your own life? What is God doing Like, what is God doing? What is he doing? I think often he doesn't reveal it to us and he didn't reveal, he revealed part of it. I'm gonna look at Mary's story here, but he doesn't reveal the full thing because if we really understood what God was up to in the confusing ways that we find our life, we wouldn't believe it sometimes. We'd be like, wait, you're gonna do that because of this? And it would just overwhelm our minds if we understood the extraordinary ways of God and how he uses these small insignificant things and insignificant people to have this impact. But I love here that he reaches out and, and the, the angel says to Mary, you are the favored one. That literally the translation, and he talks about it again in the next verse, is you are one upon whom God's grace has been given. That's what a favored one is. It's the same word that grace comes from. See, God's grace not only saves us, but it prepares us for what God has for us. And God uses Mary in an extraordinary way, unexpectedly, and it's amazing so Mary is kind of like, well, what, what is going on here? What, is, what does the angel have to say to me? Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The second extraordinary thing in this story is the extraordinary identity of the promised one, the extraordinary identity of this promised child who was to come to Mary. There is at least, and we'll just focus on five quick things here in the story that that highlight the identity of this promised one to come. First, his name. You will call him Jesus. You will call his name Jesus. When an angel appears in the book of Matthew later on in the story to Joseph, he highlights the importance again of this boy's name. It says this in Matthew one twenty one. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name literally means savior or God is our salvation. And what's in a name? Well, in this time, in this place, a great deal was in a name. Names weren't just given to people because it sounded cool or their parents liked it or like their great-great-grandma was named after it, but it was meant to, to be a characteristic of their life that your name was something that your parents and that often was given by God. That's why so often in scripture, God will change people's name when he changes who they are. And Jesus being called his name, Jesus isn't just like, oh, how how cute is that? Jesus' name means savior. No, it points to the core of who he is, that he came to save people from their sins. The second key to his identity in this passage is there in verse 32, it says, he will be great. He will be great. It was prophesied in the passage before this of John the Baptist that he will be great in the sight of the Lord, meaning that before God, he will make God seem great. And this is just like, no, he will be great. A designation in scripture that is often referred to of God himself, that this son will be great. The third clue is this, that he will be called the son of the most high. It's a reference here of the most high to to his divinity. This is equivalent to saying, which the angel will say in verse 35, that he will be called the son of God. This is a reference to divinity. See that this son that you will be having Mary. And this is one of the, the miracles of Christmas of Jesus is that he is fully man and fully God. He's not part man, God. He's not fully one and some of the other. He is fully human and fully God, that he is the son of the most high. He is God come in the flesh to dwell amongst his people, that he is the son of the most high. The fourth key to his identity is when they say here, the angel says that he will be given, to him will be given the throne of his father, David. The throne of his father, David. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, he's referencing back here to a covenant, a promise that was given to King David in 2 Samuel chapter seven, that from the line of David, from him will come the Messiah, one over whom will reign on his throne. This promise is seen in 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 12. It says this, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up from your offspring after you who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. The people knew, every Jewish person knew that the one who comes to sit on the throne of his father, David, is the Messiah. He's this anointed one, this promised one of old. It would have been clear that she knew that this is the one we've been waiting for, the one prophesied for hundreds of years before, the Messiah to come. And look at verse 33, the fifth clue. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. See the Messiah doesn't just come to set up an earthly kingdom for a given number of years and bring peace for hopefully 10, 20, 30 years, but he comes to rule and to reign forever, and that was key in the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah to come. In 2nd chapter, excuse me, in 2nd Samuel 7, following the verse that we just read, it says this, "He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever." And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Again, in Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 and 14, a prophecy of the Messiah to come. It says this, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. All of these promises, all of these things tied up in this short announcement to Mary, that the Messiah, God himself come in the flesh, greatness, the one who's come to save his people will come from you. And so as the Christmas song so often asks over and over again, Mary, did you know? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, she she kind of did. She didn't fully understand, but she did. She understood, I think, at this moment that this is the Messiah. This is the one we've been waiting for. She started to understand what the magnitude was that this child was going to come from her, that this one, Jesus, will be the fulfillment of all the prophecies that have come before. It's the one that all of history has looked forward to and from after his coming that all of history will look back upon because his kingdom doesn't just reign for a moment but endures forever. Verse 34, Mary's response, probably similar to what most of ours would be. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month with which who her was excuse me whew, I messed that up with which who was called barren verse 37 for nothing will be impossible with God See the third extraordinary thing in this passage is the extraordinary power of God the extraordinary power of God Mary asks a great question how, how, God? how, how are you going to do this? Right? Cause she kind of looks at herself and is like, Hey, I don't know if you know this or not. God, I mean, you kind of created the world, but um, yeah. How, right? Like, hello, excuse me. And God announces that, Hey, you are one of two miraculous births that is to come, right? She would not have known that her cousin, Elizabeth was six months pregnant at the time. She would not have realized this. And the story here in Luke chapter one is one of two miraculous births that are coming. But even in showing the extraordinary of Elizabeth and Mary, Mary's birth and the one who comes to Mary is always seen as superior to the one given to Elizabeth and to her son, John the Baptist. See, Elizabeth was barren. She was old, but she was barren. Mary was a virgin, right? There is a contrast there, subtle, but there is a contrast. When Zechariah was asked to believe this, that's Elizabeth's husband. When he was asked, he was asked to believe something that this would come true, what had been done before. If you know your Old Testament and you've read through scripture before, you know that so often God shows up to barren women and provides a child and that's whom he uses, that God has done this before. The angel shows up to Mary and asks her to believe something that in human history has never happened before. Notice that. Elizabeth and Zachary, believe that what has happened before will also happen to you. Mary believe that something never been done before will happen to you. It's an amazing promise. Yet Mary's asked to believe that even her as a virgin will give birth to a child. See, as a virgin, it shows not just that it's unlikely that she would have kids, like someone who is barren, like Elizabeth, but that without God, it's impossible that no one could have seen it otherwise. This points back to the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, of how will we know the Messiah has come? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which if you know means God with us. See, God used a virgin not only to fulfill the prophecies of old to show that who Jesus was, but to help us understand that nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus himself makes this same statement later on in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 18, he says this statement to his disciples, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with, in our eyes, in our sight, is possible with God. And I love this, if you, if you think about it, the impossible, something that only God could do that had never been done before in human history, that would be impossible without God's doing, characterizes not only Jesus's birth, but his death as well. And it carries us and it helps us already. In Luke chapter one, he points us to the end at Jesus's life by giving us this little nugget. Nothing will be impossible with God. He's saying, listen, if a virgin can conceive and give birth, and that shows the miraculous, extraordinary power of God that he can do what has never been done before. Then when that same son, some 30 something years later, is taken, arrested, murdered, and crucified on a cross and all hope seems lost, Don't forget that nothing is impossible with God. That he can even not only give birth to someone who's never had that, a virgin give birth, but he can take what is dead and bring it to life because nothing is impossible with God. And the amazing thing is that same power to do what can't be done apart from him, the impossible is given to those of us who believe. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is given to us who believe. That's why regardless of where you find yourself this morning, whatever situation you may be in, I don't know your story. I don't know your background. I don't know where you come from. But you may feel like this morning, you're in an impossible situation. That God could never fix it. That God couldn't fix you. Maybe that you're so far gone that everything is so messed up in your life that it could never make sense. No one could ever save it. No one could ever fix it. We'll just remember that God specializes in making the impossible happen. He specializes in taking situations and taking things that seem totally impossible from our perspective. There is no way God could fix this. And God says, yes, I can. My power can do what no one else can do, And God can do the impossible in our lives as well. It's the extraordinary power of God to do what only he can do. Verse 38, Mary's response. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her the fourth extraordinary thing in this passage is the extraordinary response of Mary. The extraordinary response of Mary to this news that she has just been given. I love it. I am the servant, or literally, if you see there, there's a number and it says underneath the bondservant, I am a slave. I, I am owned, like that God owns me. I'm bound to do whatever God calls me to do. Let it be as you have said. Let it be as God has said. So we've already talked about it, that there's, there was nothing special about Mary. She didn't come from some royal family. There was nothing like, oh yeah, of course, God would choose her. But what's remarkable about Mary is that she is simply available to be used by God. And that's true I think of all of human history, of people who God has used in a powerful and extraordinary ways. It's not necessarily their qualifications, not their degrees, not how great they look on paper, but are they available? Are they willing, are they available to be used by God? See, this weekend um, is a, a fun weekend for a very niche segment of sports fans in the world. And lots of you aren't this, but bear with me for a moment, all right? For some of us, this weekend is fun because it marks the beginning of the fantasy football playoffs. Now, some of you may wonder, what is fantasy football? It's a very insignificant thing, and don't worry about it. You're not missing out on life. But for those of us who play it's a very big deal. All right. And now if you wonder, why aren't you stressed because of fantasy football playoffs begin this weekend, Pastor Michael? Well, that's because I'm playing with a group of high school leaders and students here at our church and I'm in first place. So my team has a bye this weekend. So I'm not stressed. Christina who played the piano, her team's in second. She also has a bye this weekend. Dustin, he looked very stressed. His team did not finish in first or second. He, he's playing this weekend but there's a whole bunch of strategy that comes in. Fantasy football is basically picking different players and you kind of make your own team and you get more points based on how well they play. And there's a whole bunch of different strategy, which again is not significant to 99% of you. So I won't bore you with the strategy, but one of the, the most significant thing when it comes to picking a team is basically, are they going to be able to play? Right? If you pick a really good player who's always hurt and doesn't play on Sunday, it doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how talented they are. If they're on the bench, it doesn't matter if they're on your team or not, right? because they're not available to play. And so often in our lives, we highlight, and what we look at so much is, well, I don't know if I have the talent. I don't know if I have the ability. I don't know if I have the qualifications. And God asks one thing. He says, yeah, but are you willing? Are you willing? available. Because God's not asking about all those other things. He's asking, are you available? He didn't show up to Mary and said, hey, are you up for this? Do you think your character is ready? Have you passed enough degrees? Are you qualified enough? Have you studied? Have you read your Bible enough recently? No, he says, are you available to be used by me? One commentator put it this way, spiritual greatness is not a matter of social class, monetary clout, or degreed background, it's a function of the heart, it's a function of the heart. And when we're available to God, we trust that he will lead us for the direction and the enablement of the tasks that he calls us to. I can only imagine for Mary in that moment, surely as a teenage girl, yes, things are different from back then as they are now, but surely the thought must have gone through her mind. What am I gonna tell my friends? what am I gonna tell my parents? What am I gonna tell Joseph? What are people going to think about me? I'm gonna be the one that they're gonna point their finger at and say, God, sure, yeah, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. We've heard that one before, right? It wasn't me, it was God, right? Yeah, Yeah, uh uh-huh. Like she must have known in that moment that she would be ridiculed, she would be misunderstood, she would possibly be marginalized and pushed to the side by others. But she still said yes. See, too often, we value the opinions of others over obedience to God. Too often, we value the opinion of what other people will say, what they may think, over what does it look like to obey God. See, Mary wouldn't be the first person in human history that God has called someone to that others would look at them and say, you're crazy, right? Noah built an ark in the middle of an extreme drought in the desert. All his friends were like, yo, idiots, right? And Noah was like, yeah, but God called me to it, right? Abraham, God shows up, move to a place where, well, I'll show you when you get there. Okay, hey, where are you moving? Across the country, where are you stopping? I don't really know. We're just gonna figure it out as we go, right? I'm like, crazy, no one would do that, that's stupid. God calls us sometimes to things that the world may look at and say, that doesn't make sense, that's stupid. Why, why would you live that way? Why would you prioritize that? Why would you do that? The reality is if we're available to God, we have to prioritize obedience to him over the opinions of others. And Mary models this. So the question for us is, are we available? Are we ready to be used by God? Even if it means to be misunderstood, to be marginalized, to have others maybe point their finger to shake their head, to say, what a weirdo. Why why do they live that way? What are they doing? Don't they know that this is what's better? What, What is going on? See, when we value obedience to God, we don't necessarily care so much about the opinion of others. This is the extraordinary message of Christmas that an extraordinary visitor showed up unexpectedly to a teenage girl in a small town, out of the ways, insignificant girl in the world. But he said, I'm going to use you and Jesus is going to come. And an extraordinary child who was fully God and fully man has come in the flesh. He lived a perfect life and he died a death for us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Not just that Jesus was born, but that Jesus came and he was born. And because of his arrival, it changes everything and it changes our lives as well. God, we do thank you for the miracle of Christmas that you have come into the world. God, and that nothing is impossible for you. So God, we thank you for the change that you have brought in our lives. And we trust that you will continue to do what only you can do, that your power would work through us. God, I pray for anyone here this morning who finds themselves in a seemingly impossible place. God, would they trust today in you? Because you specialize in that. God, and would we, in our response to the things that you've called us to, would it be similar to Mary? God, may we be open, available, willing to serve you, no matter the cost. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.